Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 373 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to welcome Andy Stanley back to the podcast. Andy's actually going to be on a couple times over the next few months. And this episode is brought to you by the Crafting Character Podcast. You can check it out. It's hosted by Steve Carter, anywhere you get your podcasts, and by Remodel Health. Uh, you can visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry today and figure out how churches and not-for-profits have already saved over $2 million simply by going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. So anyway, man, I am so pumped to talk about, um, well, uh, decision-making, uh, why Andy makes decisions, and so much more uh, on this episode. So I do another podcast called The Church Pulse Weekly, as some of you know. There, David Kinneman, the president of Barna and I, interview leaders about the crisis that we're in. We started that when COVID kind of took over the world and the church and our lives. And uh, we interviewed Andy and it was just, I've, I've spent a lot of time, had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Andy. It was just such a good interview. I asked Andy and David, it's like, can I bring that over to my other podcast? And they're like, sure. So in this fascinating conversation, Andy, David, and I uh, talk a lot about decision-making. I drill down on like, Andy, how did you decide to close your church for like six months indefinitely until 2021? He made that decision back in July. Uh, exactly how does he make decisions? Well, Andy actually has a brand new book coming out designed to help you make better decisions with fewer regrets. It's called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. I've read it. He sent me a copy. I would highly recommend this book. Uh, one of those things where Andy, you know, having spent so much time with him, over the years and, and had the privilege of doing that, um, he just gets better and better at distilling wisdom succinctly. And that's what he does in that book. So head on over to betterdecisionsbook.com. Some great offers there, but time's limited. And if you head on over there to Better Decisions Book, you'll be able to check it out and get in on whatever Andy has for you. So anyway, uh, we're just going to exegete sort of his response to the pandemic in this episode. If you don't know Andy, there might be two of you left. Uh, Andy is a communicator, author, pastor, founder of Atlanta-based North Point Ministries, which now includes seven churches in Metro Atlanta and a global network of nearly 100 partner churches. His message, leadership videos, and podcasts receive millions of views monthly across a variety of websites and digital platforms. Outreach Magazine has identified Andy as one of the top 10 most influential living pastors in America. He's written more than 20 books. Impressive. Impressive. <laughs> And his latest book, as we said, uh, releases uh, in October. In 2012, he aired uh, a version of his messages on a TV show called Your Move. It premiered after Saturday Night Live on NBC. And they recently added uh, an airing after the Late Late Show with James Corden. As of 2020, Your Move messages are now accessed more than 10.5 million times each month via television and podcast. Okay, there you go. So that's Andy's bio. I'm so excited to have him back. And, and we're going to have another conversation just about decision making as well. Hey, I'm a podcast listener. I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. And I found a new one called the Craft and Character Podcast. This one's kind of fun because... You know, as, as somebody who's preached an awful lot, you ever sit down on Monday and you, you're either dreading what you delivered on Sunday or you're thinking that was pretty good, but you'd like love some game film, be able to talk about why it was good or why it wasn't good. Well, that's what Steve Carter 
and his cast do on the Craft and Character podcast. He sits down with some of the top preachers, uh, John Mark Comer, Rich Velotis, Megan Marshman, Derwin Gray, Scott McKnight, and others. And they kind of do game film on their podcast. And then they they talk about, you know, the craft of communication and character. So you can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcast. It's just Craft and Character with Steve Carter. And uh, I have added that to my list. I am uh, very, very excited for a forum like that. And kudos to a new idea. Um, that is a great idea. So the Craft and Character podcast also so excited for my listeners because you guys have saved over $2.1 million by going to remodel health for your healthcare benefits. 2021 is here soon. You're probably preparing your budget in the final stages of that. And what if you could actually get the same level of healthcare benefits to your team or increase them and save money and plow that money right back into ministry? These are challenging times and remodel health wants to help. And healthcare, I think, is just a fundamental thing that you have to be able to do well. So Remodel Health is the health benefits software and consulting service that helps employers save money and care better for their teams. By switching organizations from a traditional group insurance plan to individual plans for each employee, Remodel Health helps you and your team tap into significant savings. So if you want to learn more, go to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, where you can get access to their free savings calculator, their church buyer's guide, brand new ebook. They'd be happy to talk about it and would love to help you save money while improving or keeping the same, the benefits that you offer your team. So I got a, what I'm thinking about episode at the end of this show. I'm going to talk about five things Andy taught me about team alignment. And uh, these are things I learned a number of years ago. And I got to tell you, they are so helpful. So let's get right into it. Here is the conversation David Kinneman and I had with Andy Stanley. And David, here we are well into the fall. Uh, the crisis continues strangely. And uh, we want to we wanna highlight a couple of the big changes that have happened to leaders. We do weekly polling. If you're new to the podcast, we do weekly polling through Barna every week. And for all of you who continue to participate in that, thank you so much. You can get that at churchpulseweekly.com. Dive right in. But uh, man, things are changing fast, aren't they, in how we're coping with the crisis, David? Yeah, they really are, and uh, looking forward to hearing from Andy Stanley as you are as well. Let me let me frame this as four themes uh, that we've been tracking along. There's many different sort of data points, and we can talk about some of the specifics. But I thought for today's interview, we could sort of frame what we've learned so far in four themes. So let me hit the themes first, and we can uh, drill down on any of them you'd like. But number one, pastors are coming to realize that COVID won't propel spiritual growth as much as they thought it would in early days of the pandemic. So that is one of the key findings. Like then week one of the pandemic, 50% of pastors thought it would cause their people's faith journey to increase. Only 1% thought it would decrease. Now uh, pastors are only slightly more likely to think that the pandemic will increase people's spirituality than to believe it will diminish their spiritual appetite. So huge shift in four months about sort of pastors' belief that this is going to be a good thing for spirituality. Um, and that includes their own church. So that's the first theme. The second theme is that pastors are struggling with reopening and with showing what we describe here as a consistent response to government restrictions. So um, there's this real kind of interesting um, kind of pastors wanting to have their cake and eat it too kind of feeling here where as a church leader, it is important to me to lead by example and follow all local or government uh, regulations and recommendations regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, right at the early days, nine out of 10 pastors agreed. Today, nine out of 10 pastors agreed. 
but also pastors sort of are holding this this perspective that it is important that I do what I think is best for my church, even if that means going against what local or national government officials are saying, and six out of 10 pastors agree with that. So there's this real <laughs> sense of inconsistency that I think pastors are wrestling with, because there's a lot of pressure on them to open or not open, to comply or not comply, and with each passing week, you know, the early days, I think you and I both remarked, it's so fascinating yeah. that pastors unanimously followed suit with so many other industries, uh, but there's increasing pressure, political pressure, local pressure to either comply or not comply with government regulations. So just to underscore that real quick, that's kind of like saying, do you agree that there should be speed limits on the road? And I say, yes. And then it's like, and do you speed all the time? And I say, yes. Is it a little bit like that? I think so. Okay. And all and right. again, I, I I think part of the reason we wanted to raise it, we want to hear from Andy, we want to hear from you, you as leaders yeah. about what you think is is the way forward on this. I recognize that there's a there's never been a harder six months to be a pastor, a spiritual leader, uh, because you're facing a lot of pressure from a lot of different places. But um, we're really calling that out, this this consistency slash inconsistency. So that's the second theme. Okay, a couple more before we bring Andy on, and then I'd, I'd love to get his take. Yeah, the third theme is this idea of the emotional well-being of pastors is flashing red. And mm -hmm. lots of different ways we could look at this, but one in five pastors admits that their emotional well-being is below average or poor which is double that of the first weeks of the pandemic and 10 times worse than a pastor a few years ago in a normal period of time. So one in five pastors, 20% of pastors, usually it's just 1% of pastors who say that their emotional well-being is below average or poor. Um, and and we're seeing all sorts of interesting ways that you know we could sort of say pastors are the essential frontline workers who are also feeling the pressure just as other leaders, healthcare workers, civic leaders. There's a lot of pressure, and we can we can talk about the emotional thinness of a lot of leaders in this time. So that's the third theme. The fourth theme is that there's a lot of winners and losers when it comes to the COVID crisis among churches. Um, winners include the technology, uh, church leaders telling us that their their own staff, their own lay leaders are stepping up, they're serving the community in ways that they wouldn't have expected, lots of really cool things. I mean, I think that the hybrid church, the digital church is here to stay as a result of coronavirus. Uh, but losers in this, in this whole equ equation have been young leaders and reaching the next generation. We've seen a consistent pattern through our uh, nearly six months of polling now that um, reaching younger generations is just not that important. They, pastors are telling us they're struggling with that already before the coronavirus. Even now, they're just like, hey, how can we just keep the lights on? How can we keep doing digital church? What we do for millennials, Gen Z, how we will raise young leaders, we'll get to that later. And so I feel like there's gonna be a big crisis of transition of leaders as we think about um, you know, how will there be, you know, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months from now, the right kind of pipeline of young leaders coming in to serve churches to reach younger audiences. I think that's a really critical fourth theme that we're seeing in the data. Well, I appreciate to being able to track the attitudinal shifts and the emotional shifts that are happening as this, what seemed like an acute crisis has become a chronic one. And so with that, let's bring Andy Stanley in. Andy is the senior pastor of North Point Ministries. I think almost every listener knows Andy, uh, author of multiple books, including uh, Deep and Wide and uh, so many others. Andy, welcome. Really glad you're here. Yeah, I'm pretty depressed. <laughs> well, I've done my job. You should have done that at the end. <laughs> well, you had a chance to look at all the data we've been tracking, and it, it tells a story, doesn't it, Andy? I mean, my goodness. It does. It's, it's fascinating, of course, to someone like me who you know never took a statistics class that you can even 
gather all that and track it. So David, way to go. Of course, you've been doing that for years. And it's so helpful to those of us out here who are in our bubble, no matter what your bubble's like, you wonder, you know, speaking for your audience, if I can thank you on behalf of us, we wonder, is it just me? And when you find out, no, it's not just you, it's like, oh, well, there's, that's helpful, you know, because you feel like the outlier, especially right now. So, you know, for, for your audience who's, you know, they have a network of church leaders who are probably kind of like them, like it's, they're, they're all sort of some homogeneous a little bit. And then to find out, oh, this is common to all of us. That's extremely helpful and encouraging. So thank you for, you know, thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. I feel like I've been practicing for 25 years of research for this moment because- What time is this, Esther? It's a, it's a, it's a real-time experiment with uh, how quickly things are changing. Uh, Andy, any thoughts on some of the data that David shared or some other things that you read when you looked at the whole picture? Yeah, you, you sent it to me earlier today. And okay, this, has, this is not helpful, what I'm about to say. So just chalk this up, Bill. You're wasting our time. But let me tell you what I thought about when, when you were talking about the digital piece. And, you know, some churches are getting on board. Some churches, they're, they just never could figure it out or they're struggling to figure it out or their folks can't figure it out. You know, my dad um, turns 88 this month. Wow. And he's still the pastor at First Baptist Church of Atlanta. So they made this pivot. Okay, his primarily older church, as you might imagine, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, they have three, 4,000 folks on a Sunday, adults. They immediately went to uh, Facebook, I guess Facebook Live initially for their services, rec- uh, uh, live streaming on Sunday, and ready for this, Wednesday night Bible study streaming live. And most of their large Sunday school departments came together to create several large Sunday school departments that are using uh, Facebook and other technology. And it has been amazing. The participation has been amazing. The consistency has been amazing. They're going through the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights with one of their associate pastors. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on in the background, but in terms of their ability to pivot and to, um, you know, keep people in the pipeline in terms of communication, what's going on in the church. I have been so impressed. So, um, you know, everybody's figuring this out in their own way. So Wednesday well, Andy, you made uh, coming back. So <laughs> <laughs> you made uh, national news uh, back in July when you announced that North Point would not be reopening for in-person services until 2021. I would love to figure out if you would share with leaders what factored into that decision because it really it really did surprise a lot of people. You were one of the people to go first on that and say not not for not until next year. Um, yeah, there were, there were several things, but first and foremost, um, to, to us, this was our you know Jesus didn't command a lot of things to the general audience, you know, um, but one of them was you know, we're to love as he loved us. And as the father loved us through whom we're to love one another and specifically we're to love our neighbors. And in our world, we're to love our neighborhoods. And so honestly, our very first line of response was how do we love our neighbors and how do we love our neighborhoods and not, and we'll talk about this, I guess, not what is best for us as a local church, but what's best for our neighbor and our neighborhoods. And it was a very short discussion that in terms of not wanting to be a super spreader, um, and again, this is not one size fits all, every community is different, but in the state of Georgia, in the city of Atlanta in particular, our numbers were going the wrong way and they were going the wrong way quickly. And so when we kind of went first and didn't take it week by week, we can talk about that or even, you know, month by month, but to say, hey, we're just boom, you know, we're going to make one decision, not a hundred decisions. 
you know, it took some people by surprise. Honestly, I was so shocked it made any news, much less national news, because it was, you know, it was a decision for our Atlanta area network of churches. We've not looked back. We've not, you know, we've not second-guessed that. And the other thing it did for me, and Carrie, you know me really well. You know, when I put on my leadership hat, I have about 550 staff. I didn't want them waking up every Monday wondering, is this the week we open? Is this the week we open? Is this the week? Um, my responsibility as a leader was to bring clarity to this uncertainty. And by bringing clarity to the uncertainty, then I can turn around and say, okay, here's what we're not going to do, but here's what we can do because here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be in the here comes Sunday, here comes Sunday world for any, any longer. So with all this extra time and all this staff and our limited resources, what can we do now that we've never been able to do before? So the geeky leader part of me um, was kind of excited about breaking out of this routine and uh, giving our staff permission to do something different. But we couldn't do that if we were week to week or even month to month. So creating these, you know, clearing the decks for these large blocks of time has been extraordinary in terms of releasing creativity and some innovation and discovering new opportunities. And when you made that decision, Andy, our tracking showed that it was either 0% or just a single percent of people that were waiting until next year to declare going back to, to, to sort of in-person worship. But over the about six weeks, it went to about uh, last, last time was 18%, now it's 15%. So one in six churches currently are expecting to wait until 2021. And I think that idea of being clear in the midst of uncertainty uh, really makes a difference for a lot of leaders and for people that are wait, waiting to know just what's next. Well, or I've just been a bad example. Thank you. We'll see, right? <laughs> Time will tell. I, I like your analysis of making one decision that kind of freed you up from making a hundred or a thousand little decisions. I think that that's really sharp leadership. I'd love to know, Andy, what do you think that cost you if you think it cost you anything? And what do you think it gained you? Because, because you're right, you don't make national news or like catch headlines just because, oh, that decision cost him nothing. I would imagine in the minds of a lot of pastors, they're like, wow, that's pretty risky. So what did you think you were giving up and what did you think you would gain? Well, um, I, honestly, at the time, I didn't even think about what we were giving up because I, I was so excited about the opportunity to do, to do something different. Um, but here's what I did give up. Um, we uh, surveyed our folks. And of course, we got some immediate feedback from our from insiders. And there was about 15% of people who, would I, who I would say were committed to one of our churches who were not happy. They weren't happy about the decision to shut down for the summer, or when I say shut down, to suspend weekend worship services for the summer. And then when we said, hey, for the rest of the year, um, I got voicemail, letters, email, people putting letters in my mailbox. Um, and so here's what I did, and this is my habit, and Diane knows um, whenever I get a complaint that she hands to me, she has already gone ahead and looked up a cell phone number. I do not write people. I don't respond with email. I call people. So I call just about every single person um, who in our church who's, you know, I, we went online. These are people who are committed. They've led small groups. They love our church, but they are upset. And you will not be surprised to know, and I've shared this with our church. I wouldn't share anything here I haven't shared with our church. 100% of the negatives, 100% of the negatives, they weren't, oh, I miss the church so much, and I, I can't wait, and I'm so upset that I can't gather with Christians on Sunday to worship God. There was zero of that. 100% of the pushback was political in nature. We bought into this democratic lie. We bought into the, you know, the scamdemic, um, and... 
these were actually friendly conversations. I mean, first of all, they weren't even sure it was me. I had to convince them, no, this is really Andy. I got your email. I actually read it. Um, and then they would tell me how much they love the church and how it changed their life. So we'd go through all those wonderful things. <laughs> and then we would kind of get into the nitty gritty. And honestly, these are people who like, I've never, I'm not wearing that mask. I've not quarantined one single day. I don't know anybody who's gotten sick. Um, this is just people trying to shut down the church. So we have those folks in our churches and I talk to them and we've had interesting conversations and I, you know, some of them were saying we're leaving the church and I would say, well, this is actually a great time to leave the church because we're not meeting and the churches you probably would want to go to, they're not meeting either. Then we would laugh, you know, and hopefully nobody left the church. I don't want anybody to leave the church. So that was, um, that wasn't exactly surprising once I got into it, but I was not anticipating that. Again, I just was excited about doing the right thing for our community. And, you know, when you do something very, very big and different, everybody stops and looks, and then you have to decide, what are we going to do with this attention? And can we leverage it in such a way that increases our influence in the community? And our community knows, hey, this church is for our community. I'll tell you where I got consistently good feedback was from the medical community. Mm. I heard from people literally all over the country who said, Andy, I don't go to your church or Andy, I've read one of your books. I watch you on Sunday or Andy, you don't know me, but my wife's a nurse. I'm a, I'm a nurse and my, my wife's a, a, a doctor, you know, um, you've made the right decision. And in some cases they, they were quick to say, I am a far, I'm a very right wing Republican. I want you to know that, but yeah, I feel like you made the right decision because you know, people sense that this has become politicized like everything has. So that's been an interesting thing to navigate, but I've had some fascinating conversations along the way. Thank you for sharing that. That, that. That's so helpful because I'm sure our leaders listening have had so many of those conversations. Andy, you're right. We, we have known each other for a long time and I've, I've had the privilege of sitting down so many times and benefiting from your teaching. One of the things I would say, you're one of the best, if not the best I know at this, but you have figured out how to say no. You figured out how to handle critical feedback, I think better than anybody. Can you just give us a glimpse into the emotional process you walk through when Diane shows up and says, Andy, you got 746 emails with people who are mad at you this morning. Like what happens to you when that happens? You know, Carrie, this is a little bit of personality. So I don't know that there's yeah. anything transferable about what I'm about to say. Um, part of it's being a preacher's kid. Mm. I, I feel like I've, I live my life. I've lived my life twice. I, um, I, experience so much of what I saw my dad experience as a kid. I think that helps tremendously, but here's the thing. Um, and this, when I'm certain, when I'm certain or when I'm confident, I guess is a better word. When I'm confident that I've made or we've made the right decision, I get credit for a lot of decisions that there was a we, not just a me, but somebody has to be the, you know, the point person. When I'm confident that we've made the right decision, then I'm almost excited about talking to my critics because in my naivety or my arrogance, you can decide I am convinced that I can convince them to see this my way um, because I'm confident it's the right thing to do. And if we can just have a conversation, they'll at least go, well, okay, I, I hadn't thought about that or what well, that is a different perspective. It's one of the reasons, and I would highly recommend, I don't recommend my sermons, but I did a after I had a lot of these conversations, I actually came back and preached an entire message entitled, Not In It to Win It, Not In It to Win It, 
where I address this to our whole congregation to say, hey, you know, we're in a cancel culture and some of you canceled me. When you found out we weren't going to meet, it was like, we're done. And you talked about years and years and years of how much you love our church, but one sermon or one decision and boom, you're out. So I just addressed it head on with our congregation um, because I, in this particular case, I believe there is a theological reason for us in our cities in the state of Georgia to make this decision because it says something about the gospel and it says something about the positioning of the church. So this wasn't just a, oh, let's do something different. This, there was, I feel like there are theological underpinnings, at least for us. And so if there's pushback, <laughs> in my way of thinking, it becomes an excuse to talk about it more. And uh, hopefully, you know, we all learn together. So that's sort of been my response to criticism. Um, again, that, I don't know if there's anything, there's any takeaways from that. Or no, not. it's super helpful. One of the things that you, uh, have said repeatedly at, at church, also on your leadership podcast in the different platforms through the pandemic is, uh, clarity when you don't have certainty. Um, I would love to know what are the rhythms, the disciplines, because you are clear, like you've always been clear but what are the, because it's such a confusing time, what are the disciplines, the rhythms, the thought patterns, the process you use personally to find clarity when there isn't a lot of clarity? Um, well, I have lots of conversations with lots of people. Um, this decision to, you know, not have to suspend weekend worship services, you know, beginning at the end of July through the rest of the year, um, you know, 90% of the people that were in that room, but there were 15 people in that room, all of our lead pastors, our NPM um, directors. This was, and I threw out several options. I mean, you know, there were, you know, none of them I thought were good options, but I didn't walk in with an idea and say, here's what I think we should do. Let's talk about it. I right. walked in, I threw the net as wide as I possibly could because they're smart people. And I had an, you know, an intuition about what I thought we should probably do. But it, actually, you know, Clay Scroggins, he's probably yeah, been yeah. on this program. Clay was the first person after we talked not that long that said, I, I just think we should not open, just not plan to open for the rest of the year. And I just looked around the room and I mean, it was, it was a pretty short meeting. Um, so I'm, I don't know that I'm a consensus builder, but I am really, really interested in what other people are thinking and how other people are processing. And then at some point, you know, when you get to about 80, 85% confidence, you just have to make a decision and um, move forward. But in terms of the, the clarity, and, and this is so important, so just stop me, David, or Carrie, either one of you, if I, I go too long on this. Um, when there is uncertainty, the clarity is basically giving people something to do because when things are uncertain and disruptive, nobody knows what to do. They know what they used to do. They know what they thought they should do. So you don't bring certainty into uncertainty. You bring clarity around, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do for now. Here's what we're going to do until then. And so putting a date out there clearing the decks and saying, we're going to come up with a new strategy, a new plan. Um, here's, here's what we can do. Here's what we can do now. It, because if you don't give people something to do and they don't know what to do, they will intuitively focus on all the wrong things because you haven't given them anything to focus on. It's not their fault. So it's so important and uncertainty for the leader to have something to point the organization toward and specifically give them something to do. And again, if you have smart people, um, you know, they're, they're pretty much going to take it from there. So that, that was, uh, and if you don't give some people something to do, then as you know, nothing, um, 
gets done. And so we basically asked the question, we know what we're not going to do, but let's not focus. And this is important. Let's not focus on what we can't do or what we're not going to do. Let's focus on the new opportunities that we didn't have before. Let's focus on what we can do. And um, our staff have, again, they've, they have the time and the flexibility to, to try some new things that I think, and you, you know this, to do some things that are going to carry forward into whatever the, the future looks like. And I think a lot of churches are discovering that. But again, it begins with clarity in terms of the decision and then clarity in terms of, you know, what do we do now and where do we go from there? And again, there, I didn't answer all the questions for everybody. I don't know all the answers, but I at least came up with a, hey, here's, here's two things we can all do. Let's get busy. So the three of us are sitting here with uh, decades of, of experience in, in leadership and research. I sort of said earlier, I've spent 25 years practicing for this moment. And I think some of the clarity that you're giving to your community comes from a lot of practice of, of leading. Um, speak to the leaders who are you know, maybe five years or less, who've planted a church or who, who are trying to figure out like, what, what am I supposed to learn during this moment? How do I stay in the game? How do I think about um, you know, l- learning the right habits? Um, you know, like if I were a brand new researcher, I wouldn't know how to do the right kind of research at this moment. So uh, what would you say to young leaders about trying to sustain themselves and their, their churches and their leadership through this crisis? Um, I, I don't know. I, for a church plant, I, I've, I've talked to a couple of leaders of networks of church plants who've, who called me and I'm like, I, you know, I mean, come on, we all know church planting is tough when things are great church yeah. planting through this. Um, but so this is not going to answer your question, but here's something that I've been thinking about. Um, and in fact, I told our team this, I said, you watch, this is when the insurgents are going to surface because while the rest of us are carrying a model that we're trying to sustain. So think about a church planner. They planted with a model, a good model, perhaps, maybe a perfect model. Suddenly the model is not sustainable in this climate, but what is their natural inclination? I got to figure out how to sustain this model. Well, that's the wrong way to think, but it's the natural way to think. And because they don't have a different model, again, they become very insider focused. How do we get enough money to sustain this model? How do I keep people involved? But I guarantee you, in fact, you, you guys may already know because I don't know names come to mind, but I know they're out there. There are some young leaders who are going to be the insurgents. You know, they're going to quit um, they're going to shut down all their video, you know, video stores and they're going to quit sending DVDs and they're just going to start streaming and put everybody outside of business. There's, there's going to be, there are insurgents that have been playing with the rules, breaking the rules, playing around the edges, and their time has finally come because um, they, the old models, not only are they not going to work well, here's the real challenge. Those of us who have built these models, birthed these models, made a career and a reputation out of these models, it's very difficult for us to what? To let them go because this is what we do. But the leaders and the church leaders who are not emotionally connected to those models, you'd, I've, I've told our staff, I've, to, I've, I've taught this for years. I've said, you know, we may not be the ones that come up with the next iteration, but we better keep our hands wide open. We better stay in love and married to our mission. We better not marry our model because the models are going to change. And I think on the backside of this are going to be some new church models um, that this season fueled. And as a seasoned leader, um, I want to be a part of that. And I don't want to be so married to what we do financially or in terms of a staffing structure that not only do I miss it, but here's the thing I 
really don't want to do. I don't want to criticize it because it doesn't fit with what I built my reputation around. And so for the young leaders out there who, again, they, they planted a church a year ago, six months ago, based on a church planning model that used to work, I would say to you, hey, I don't know what, I can't give you the specifics of what you should do, but this is the time. This is the time when all those crazy ideas that the people older than you said, you know, that's never going to work. This may be the time to try those things because it may be the only thing that works going forward. For our listeners, uh, one of the most important messages I heard in my life happened to come from you, Andy, at one of the catalysts. I don't think I've ever told you this, that uh, you, you talked about Daniel. He goes to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and he says, God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whom he wishes. And I remember as a, a youngish leader at the time, just thinking about what that might mean and promotion comes from the Lord and leaders challenge the process. So I love that you're talking about this idea of new new things happening. Isaiah 43, 19, you know, behold, I'm doing a new thing and now it springs up. So I, I, I love that you gave input both for young leaders to go ahead and be the kind of kingdom insurgents that create these new these new approaches, and then also some advice for those of us uh, on 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 the other side of success who need to be careful not to criticize and and sort of um, push out those new models from changing our our ment our, our mental habits and approaches. Good stuff. Yeah, one of the uh, benefits clarity too. It's, it's funny how many times I go back and I re I remember that message. I remember some others you gave your momentum talk, probably my favorite talk ever on momentum, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway. Andy, you, you raise a really good point. Um, the model that you have spent your entire life building up, perfecting, polishing, just kind of out the window with everybody else's model back in March, right? When, when the virus hit. I would love to know, and you can answer this personally or strategically or professionally, however you want, but what have been some of the hardest parts of these last six months for you? Yeah, um, personally... It, this completely disrupted my rhythm, which at first I liked because I like change. And honestly, at this season of my life, I mean, if Sandra were here, she would just nod, you know, as much as I love what I do and as much as I love who I get to work with and as much as I love our church and as much as I love preaching, you know, for, uh, you know, our church will be 25 years old in October, but it's here comes Sunday, here comes Sunday, here comes Sunday, the next series, the next, the next, the next, you know, the next, you know, so for all of that to get thrown up in the air at first, I'm like, oh, I didn't want to say it too loud because I know people have <laughs> suffered, right? I mean, people are dying. We have some horrible, horrible stories in our churches. But in terms of the disruption of the, of the schedule, it was like, wow. But then I had such a hard time finding my new rhythm. You know, Joel Thomas. Yeah, uh, yeah very well. I was a lead pastor here for many years. Um, I called Joel. No, he, he texted me. He said, something along the lines of this isn't a direct quote, but basically I don't know what to do. I'm like, me neither. I, there's so much that needs to be done. My routine is so messed up and I am honestly, I feel like I'm busier than ever, but part of it is just the routine. So that's the, the, the personal side. Um, our daughter got married in the middle of this. That was, mm -hmm. that was interesting. Um, and it has been challenging to know how to lead our staff because I don't see our staff very often. We opened up the offices for a while. We had several staff members test positive, shut them back down temporarily. There, people can kind of come and go at will, but in terms of in-person meetings, all those things, I'm leading people that you don't see very often. That's been challenging. And, and, and this, is part, this goes back, I think, a little bit to why pastors emotionally are where they are right now, as you mentioned earlier. It's hard to, it's hard to know what is the win 
And it's hard to know if we're winning and it's hard to know how to measure success. And so for entrepreneurial leaders or for people who are fueled to some level at some level by success, um, suddenly you don't know how to measure it anymore. You don't know if you're being successful. You don't know if you're winning. And this is just a, a, you know, a thought. I don't have anything to back this up. Honestly, I think for some pastors, this is why they are so anxious to start meeting again. And I'm, I'm not being, I have no one in, nobody in mind. Okay. But if you're, if your sense of worth and self-esteem and success, and I'm a pastor and these are my people and this is my church, if all of it revolves or if most of it revolves around that hour and 10 minutes on Sunday morning or those two hour and 10 minute sessions on Sunday morning, and suddenly you're not doing that anymore, it would make sense, wouldn't it? It would make sense that you would want that back granted for the benefit of the congregation but for the benefit of the man or woman in charge who wants to know, or do we even have a church anymore? So, and I'm not being critical. I just think that's, that's human nature. We are designed to do something and when we can't do it anymore, we just don't feel successful. So I think, I think that is where some people have taken a hit emotionally. Now, personally, I, I'm not wired that way. I, there's nothing in me that misses getting up on a stage and talking to lots and lots of people. I want our organization to thrive. And so I've had to figure out different ways to measure um, our success and help our staff determine what is a win in this season. Because if they don't know what the win is, then once again, they find themselves not knowing what to do. So those have been, you know, some of the tensions that we're, that we're still playing in right now. That's, that's, not, that's not in the rear view mirror. And there may not be a clear answer to this, but what are, how have you redefined the win? I mean, you wrote a book on it. If you look at the seven practices, right? It's define the win, define the win. Uh, what are some of the new wins for you or have you clarified them yet in this season? Yeah, so the, the wins are going to be, um, they're not campus specific, but they are environment specific. So we've said to middle school, what does the win look like in this season? To high school, what does the win look like? To groups, what does the win look like? So you gotta, again, the rule, we're lit playing by a different set of rules. So in this season, what is the win? So each one of our big areas or big departments has come up with what they feel like the win is. And what's so great because they're leaders is once they've, and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's the problem with goal setting is you think, what if I set the wrong goal? Cause then I'll move in the wrong direction. And I've told them there's no wrong win. Just determine, take your, take a, take a guess and then agree on it and then strategize toward it. And whenever you do that, even if it's not the perfect win, at least the ship starts moving in a direction. And it's, you know, this, you can't change the direction of something that's not moving. It is better to move in the wrong direction and make course changes than to sit back out of fear, like, oh, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to do, what if we do the wrong thing? So I'm like, no. You decide what is the win for middle school? What's the win for parents? This is one of our big discussions right now because in all of our churches, who feels the most pressure right now in, this, in the cities where the schools are either not open, partially open, might close, it's parents. So we're having lots of conversations. So our staff came to me and said, Andy, we want you to do a parenting series. And I'm like, of all the topics, of all the topics, a parenting series? And they're like, yes, nobody needs more attention right now than the parents in our church. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Well, all of that came as a result of them asking the question, you know, what's the win in our different divisions and departments? So um, that's, a, you know, kind of a short or maybe not so short answer to the question. But every church and every pastor, you got to sit down with your staff and determine what is the win for us in this season. Now, 
let me back up to a little, this goes back to something we talked about earlier that I didn't want to keep harping on. This is one of the primary reasons, and this is going to sound like I'm being critical of other churches, and I promise I'm not. This is one of the big reasons I did not want us to open partially with masks and social distancing, because to me, that is a half measure. That is not a win. People are like, we want to come back to church. And when they come back, it's not the church they left. It's not what they're looking forward to, but it would take money, resources, time, extra cleaning, um, scale down volunteers. That, that decision to partially open would take so much of our resources, time and attention. We would not be able to do some of the other things we're doing. And to me, that was not a win. To just have kids in a classroom with somebody who's not their small group leader and there's no relationship, not a win. To have music and worship, I've, I've participated in online and I have friends who, <laughs> who have opened that they, you know, three weeks later, they're like, we should have never opened. They, they, don't, they, they don't even enjoy their own, they're not enjoying their own church. Um, so that was, again, the whole what is the win question for us. That was one of the reasons we decided not to do hybrid church. But again, it's given us the freedom to do some other things. And again, that sounds like a knock. Uh, just to put that in context, Carrie, um, you know Sean C. at Athens Church. Yeah, yeah. About a month ago, um, they decided to open with social distancing and mask. And he asked me, is that okay? I'm like, of course it's okay. Athens, Georgia is a different community than the communities we have around Atlanta. Absolutely. This is not one size fits all. And if that's a win for your church and a win for your community, and of course, you know, Sean, he's the most creative and appropriately ambitious pastor that you'll ever meet. So that was a win for them. So, hey, yeah. go for it. Yeah, but he has his own criteria. You have yours. Before we started recording, we we're chatting a little bit about uh, speaking to an empty room. And David and I, as I'm sure you have, have heard from so many preachers who are like, oh, I just miss the feedback, like the real feedback. What has that adjustment been like for you, Andy? Well, again, I like change. Um, I, you know, I, like any communicator, you get in a rut. And so I'll tell you what I've done. Um, the first two or three weeks, I tried preaching like I normally preach, and it was hard and it was horrible. And I thought, I'm not going to keep doing this because I'm not looking forward to it. So I manuscripts after, I think the Sunday before Easter, and from then on, I manuscript my entire sermon, and I read the whole sermon off a teleprompter, 100%. And I've gotten better and I've got some people around me. In fact, one of them is sitting in the room with me right now who would say, Andy, when you do this or when you do that, when Sandra would say, hey, no, I'm like, I want to get so good at this that no one knows I'm reading it. And so I've gotten better and better and better. So for the last whatever months, so it's a whole different preaching style. How has that, that's really interesting. I don't want to interrupt you, but like you, you are, because I've read some of your outlines before and they're available and you're like super detailed, but you've never been a manuscript person. What advantage do you think that gives you? Well, I don't have to pretend that there's anybody in the room because here's what's happened. And this is very important. Um, we are, I know nobody's going to like this language, but if nobody is in the room, you are creating a television show. Hmm. So own that 
and just do it and, and don't try to do, oh, we're going we're gonna to do it like there's people in the room. Everybody on the other end of the camera knows there's nobody else in the room. So don't pretend there's other people in the room. And um, Brad Bretts, who you know, is sitting in the room with me today. And Brad and I have had to go round and round a couple times because he'd have all these really cool shots. And I'm like, Brad, I want to look down the lens of, I want to look down the barrel of the lens because I'm talking to people at home or on their phone or driving. I don't want any more cool jib shots and cool. I mean, you, it is very cool, but clearly, you know, it's like, who's he talking to now? There's nobody in the room. So it took us a little bit, all of us, you know, our whole team to finally own the fact we are creating a new show. We are talking to people at home. So let's talk to the people at home and not talk to the people at home like this. So, but again, but that was an adjustment. And so I would say to the folks, you know, who, who were listening, because we're all in this world together. If you don't have people in the room, own it. In fact, we took out, I don't know, 15, we took out basically all the chairs on the floor in our East Auditorium and just created a television studio because, hey, we're creating a television program. This is 100% you know, video, this, nobody's in the room. Again, it took us a little while to, you know, quit trying to do a hybrid and just own it. So I've become a news reader, except, you know, in my case, <laughs> it's a sermon. We've been seeing this in the data, actually, that one in three practicing Christians has sort of been sitting out the coronavirus in terms of church attendance. Um, you know, they, they haven't, they haven't been going back and they haven't even really, they've, they watched a few weekends of, uh, of the digital church and they're like, all right, this is not going to be for us. And half of millennials. And I actually think some of the conversations we've been having on this, um, on this podcast, as well as the data is showing that, especially for younger viewers, uh, they, they, um, they're so used to YouTube and screen-based media, all of which is based on that sort of, um, that sort of, um, expression of trust and value. I remember talking to my son once actually, where he was, he was more likely to ascribe trustworthiness to a YouTube channel host that he listens to than, than the youth pastor at our church. And it was like, it's this really interesting sense of like, how do you develop trust across a screen? And, and I think, I think this is a real time experiment for those of us in communication and certainly in spiritual um, you know, spiritual work and, and trying to see, you know, the, the gospel go forward in some new and fresh ways. Um, I think we have a lot to learn in this moment. And I'm, you know, I'm appreciating hearing your, your sort of insider story about trying to experiment with that. Yeah. Well, David, let me say one thing about that. And here's my theory, because um, all of us have had this experience. You're talking to two or three friends about a topic. And then somebody in the conversation says, well, I read and as soon as, as soon as somebody says, I read, the fact that it was written down gives it credibility. This is true for video as well. This is why we all have a tendency to trust almost anybody on the other end of a camera more than we do a person in the room. This is, I don't know what the psychology is behind this, but there is a credibility factor of anybody on the other end of a camera or something that's written. Because I mean, we've all re read stuff that's kind of garbage, but there's something about here's this article or here's this book. Well, the fact that somebody wrote it, it just carries more weight. It legitimizes so, it. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. legitimizes it. And so we should take, you know, as, as communicators and as leaders, we should definitely look for ways to take advantage of that. And we don't have any choice right now, right? And I absolutely think that this is a gift to the church because it turns out that all the legitimacy we think we had when people were in the room 
wasn't actually as deep as we expected it to be in other facets of their lives. So this is forcing the church out of the walls of sort of the, the church in, in real ways, but also like to actually do ministry through screens in a more holistic way. Um, you know, I've used this line that we're sort of doing analog or at best dial up ministry in a Wi-Fi world. And for this next generation, you know, an hour or two a week isn't going to do it. So we've got to find better and different ways of, of doing ministry and, and communicating in a way that people really trust. They don't go fact check you and like, hey, this isn't really true. Yeah. So Andy, I imagine at some point 2021 is going to hit and uh, at some point in the future, churches may reopen. I know. And I want to I want to pivot the conversation toward reopening. So I think, you know, the data all shows it. the data that David's collecting, Barna's collecting. You've seen it with your friends, too. Like the return to church for churches that have reopened has been, I think, shockingly low. Uh, I don't think anyone would have said, oh, my goodness, it's it's going to be this bad. And yet it is. Uh, If you have 50 percent of what you used to get. Uh, you're on the winning side at this point. But, you know, I I want you to imagine when North Point reopens, there's a vaccine, let's say there's no masks, there's no more need for social distancing, and that'll be a great day. What are you, what are you preparing yourself for and North Point Ministries for? Like, do you anticipate we're going to return to where it was in 2019? You think it'll be bigger, lower? How will the model evolve and morph? And what are your expectations as you get ready for that? I'm asking you to be a prophet, you know, so. No, well, again, that is the, that is the question most church leaders are asking. Yeah. I'm asking a different question. I've said to our staff, don't think in terms of getting back to normal. Think in terms of starting over. This is our opportunity to start over. If there was anything we didn't want to do in the past, we don't have to do it anymore service times, locations. I mean, we get to start over. We're not starting back up. We are starting over. Now, running on the parallel track of what do we do right now between now and the time we're actually back in the building, along with conversations about starting over, once again, we have five months to work on that. We, that's, we have five months, to, again, to figure out what are we doing now and what's it going to look like, not when things go back to normal. I've, I've tried to erase that kind of conversation from our meetings. No, not yes. when we start back up. Let's start over. We have been given the opportunity of a lifetime. In fact, um, my dad and I have had this, con- I've had this conversation with the, the pastor that's going to take his place when he steps down. And I've told him, his name's Anthony. I said, man, you got it made because you get to start. You don't have to shut anything down. It's all, God shut it all down. So when we come back, it, I think it's a mistake in any industry or capacity not to at least have the conversation of what if we thought more in terms of starting over than starting back up. And I'm telling you, you have that conversation with your staff. Everybody is engaged. Once you have the conversation about, and think about it, I mean, you guys are in this world. If you have the conversation of how do we start things back up, you immediately throw everybody back into the old paradigm. It's not exciting. It's more of the same. But but to your point, Carrie, I wonder how many people are going to show up. It's not going to be like it used to be. Okay, I don't want to have that conversation. Let's have the start over conversation. And if we start over and we start over smaller with a better model that takes into consideration all of this learning, 
that's exciting to me. So it's just, it's just which question do we want to lead with as we think about um, the future? Pastors told us that uh, they see the, the spirituality and engagement of their people the first few weeks that was, was like sky high. They're like, this is going to be the greatest thing for the church. And now pastors are realistically setting, setting in uh, for you know, a long haul for the chronic nature of this. Uh, speak to your hope of what this pandemic will do for the church and, and, and really what, you know, what, what, what does this mean in the long run, you think, for leaders and for the witness of the church and for the hope of the gospel in our communities? Thank you, David. Um, and I, I heard two different questions. So I want to go with the latter. And, and, what, and we've already talked a little bit about this. This, you know what, I, I, I just taught on this from Acts chapter 11 when the, the church in Antioch finds out there's going to be an empire-wide famine. It's going to, you know, go throughout the empire. And their first question wasn't, what's God up to? And what about us? Their first question was, who's going to be most negatively affected? And what can we do? Who's going to be most negatively affected? And what can we do? Oh, the Christians in Jerusalem are going to be most negatively affected. They can't get jobs as it is. Most of them are starving. So let's do something for them. That, I mean, which, it was, which was unprecedented, unprecedented in the ancient world, 300 miles away, that's like New Zealand, you know, basically from where I live in terms of travel back then. So um, in terms of our witness, as long as, and again, our, I've got some staff sitting in here with me today. We've been talking about this. If we can stay outwardly focused in all of our decisions, outwardly focused in all of our decisions, this is our opportunity to, again, take advantage of this difficult time to say something to our communities specifically about how much we care for them and that we are for them. We're not just trying to batten down the hatches and have church the best that we can and try to get back to normal. So um, in terms of our witness, again, there, it, there are unprecedented opportunities. And this is one of the reasons, and I know we don't want to get into this, this whole, this whole thing that has been so politicized about, you know, they're trying to shut down the churches. Nobody is trying to shut down the church in the United States of America. People in other countries that are actually persecuted must just, I, just, I hope they never even hear about it. It is so insulting. Nobody is trying to shut down the church. We should take advantage of the fact that we can't do what we used to do the way we used to do it. And if we do, I, I do think that the church is going to be better for it. Now, in terms of the spiritual condition of people or people's faith, again, I'm a bit of an optimist in this. In, this. in fact, um, Stuart Hall, I know you guys know Stuart. Stuart just preached. I asked him to preach a couple of messages for us on the question of certainty. He almost died of COVID. What this does or what disruption like this always does is it, it kicks out all the false props. You know, most of us, our faith isn't in God. Our faith is in the hope that God will come through for us, really. And I don't, know that, I, I don't know that you can get past that <laughs> until all the false hopes are kicked away and there's nothing but God. So in the midst of a situation like this, there are people who are finding hope literally actually in God rather than hope in the fact that I hope God comes through for me. So that's purifying. I and mean, that's what Peter said. Hey, your faith is being purified by fire and people are going to notice. Jesus said, hey, let your light shine in such a way that people see your good works, and then glorify your Father in heaven. So these are opportunities. But the churches that are going to get it right 
are not the churches that turn inward, circle the wagons, batten down the hatches. Let's just get through this till we can get back to normal. You will have missed, they will have missed an extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity. And I'm trying to lead um, with that posture in our staff meetings and in terms of how we're budgeting and um, how we're, again, approaching and being involved in the community. I so appreciate Andy, you know, you talking about not, not going back to normal. I resonate with that. And Jeff Brody, my successor, who you know, we're a partner church of North Point. He's actually talking internally about relaunching the church, that this is just, we're going to launch it. We're not going to open it. We're not going to regather. We're going to launch it. And you may not be able to answer this with specifics, but I want to ask it anyway, because you've had a few months and you got a few months left until you open up. But there are some things, are there some things that you're like, yeah, we're probably not going to do that again. And um, boy, I'm really excited about possibly doing this. Are, are you able to pull the curtain back a little bit to see what's in your mind? Nope. <laughs> I knew that was a good chance of an answer. But of course there's that stuff. And those are conversations that are going on. And again, you yeah. here, you've heard me, you've heard everything I had to say. You know, I, I used to do this talk about the old couch, you know, yeah, somebody yeah. has a couch and they move, they move the couch, they keep moving the couch. It needs to be thrown away, but we fall in love with the couch. We just keep moving it from house to house to house. And then one day somebody comes in and comments on it, how ugly it is. And you're like, you know, you're right. That is ugly. But I've been moving that thing around. So now's the time to look around at our ministries, our model, our everything and say, hey, we got any old couches that this is the time to just, you know, throw them out or do something different. So, yeah, there's all kinds of interesting conversations going on right now. And again, I sound like a broken record. We have time. We yeah. have margin. Um, and hopefully we're going to take advantage of it and, again, reopen stronger and better than ever is my hope. Well, Andy, I think you've already done this once or twice in the conversation, but is there any question that leaders should be asking that you don't hear us asking enough right now? Well, this is, this is personal. So for, for most pastors, what I'm about to say is so intuitive for you. It's embarrassing that I even have to admit this, but um, because I love progress and because I love our organization, um, the thing that I've, had to remind myself of consistently is that in times of uncertainty, our voice is more important than our words and our presence is more important than our preparation. And I am a preparation addict. If I'm not prepared, I don't show up. If you don't send me the questions ahead of time, I'm not doing the interview. <laughs> no interview. Okay, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I've just, that's just how I'm wired. And during this season, I have had to be very intentional and I've given people permission to remind me, Andy, set that aside. Don't text her, call her. Don't email him, call him. Okay, you're not going to be prepared, but this is an important conversation. Go have the conversation. So, to, you know, um, lead with my humanity a little bit more than I'm normally, uh, that I'm accustomed to doing, and that I'm even comfortable doing. Um, again, there are some pastors listening. They're like, are you kidding? I mean, that's, you're just such a you're a far better pastor than I will ever be. Um, when I show up at the hospital, people just assume it's worse than the doctor told them, okay? I'm not a comforting presence. Um, but during this season, again, words are more important. You know, vo you're hearing your voice more important than reading your words and your presence. I just remind myself, preparation's important, um, but it's not the most important thing. Lead with your humanity because these are uncertain times. Well, David, anything else? This has been so rich. Andy, yeah. you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. 
I've just been uh, taking mental notes here about different leadership lessons for me here at Barna and just thinking about what it means for us to have a compelling vision of where we're trying to lead the church and lead our people as opposed to just trying to manage our way through all the you know, all the hassles and, and it sort of feels like a, it feels like the last six months have been a game of whack-a-mole for me. And, you know, so the, the, the this idea of leading towards a, a preferable future is a, is a great reminder for us as leaders. We, I think we all feel that a little bit, David. So you're, and Hey, thank y'all for what you're doing. And thanks for the, I mean, what you do is a gift to the church all the time. But again, we, as we talk about at the very beginning, um, it's as or more important than it's ever been before. So thanks for reminding us that we're not alone, <laughs> that we're not crazy, and that we're all, you know, feeling uh, pretty much the same thing, which means we're healthy and we're normal. Was always so rich. And we will have Andy back for a separate interview in the next few months where we talk about decision making. I mean, that's the one thing I love about long form podcasting is like, yeah, we got into it now, but what if we just did a whole hour on decision making or maybe longer? I, I just find that stuff fascinating. And I think it's a real privilege to be able to uh, drill down on some issues. So Andy will be back probably in early 2021 and excited for that. Uh, if you want more, you can go to the show notes. You can find everything at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 373. Also, um, head on over to Church Pulse Weekly and subscribe to that if you haven't done that. That's where uh, we hang out, David Kinneman and I, helping church leaders move their way through a sea of uncertainty. And David brings his latest polling data, et cetera, as you heard in this show. So anyway, we got what I'm thinking about coming up soon. But on the next episode, Anne Graham Lott. So we talk about growing up as Billy Graham's daughter, what she is seeing in the culture. Um, she does talk a lot. You know, either when you're talking to someone like Anne Graham Lotz, they either love to talk about their parents or they never want to talk about their parents. And she gives us some fascinating stories, how culture has changed and uh, things about, you know, struggling in prayer life, if you've ever done that. Here's an excerpt. I felt loved by him. I, I didn't feel like one of the bunch. You know, I, I was one of the bunch, but, but uh, he made me somehow feel when we'd go out to supper, he would hold my hand as we walked down the street. And then, of course, as I got older, he introduced me to the elevator operators and the hotel clerks and everybody. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. I felt like I had my father's love and attention. And my father knew how to give me his full attention, even though he had many things on his mind, I'm sure. And, and um, you know, now as I'm older, I know more of what he was involved in. But But he... He developed a relationship with me. So that's next time. And Graham Lotz on the podcast. Also coming up, Rich Velotis, John Gordon, Tom Rayner, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, Scott Sauls and Sarah Anderson, Beth Moore, Mark Batterson, so much more. Subscribers, you get that all for free. Thank you so much for sharing. It's almost time for what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about team alignment, things I've learned from Andy Stanley along the way. And this is brought to you by the Crafting Character Podcast. Uh, it is such a great idea to actually dissect the game film of what went right, what went wrong uh, during your sermon. And you can check that out wherever you get your podcast. It's hosted by Steve Carter. It's just the Crafting Character Podcast. And by Remodel Health, start saving today. You can get access to their free savings calculator, Church Buyer's Guide, brand new ebook by going to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. So in what I'm thinking about, I have had the privilege of leading a church for a couple of decades. And for the last 12 of those, uh, I sat under the leadership of Andy Stanley at North Point. Uh, they are our affiliated church. When I was the lead pastor at Conexus, 
Uh, that meant that I got into a lot of rooms with Andy and, and got to spend some meaningful time with him. And of course, have learned so much from him, not only sort of in his public teaching, but also in some private moments as well. And uh, I take good notes. And so I want to share some notes from a few years ago when I was with Andy. And, and it was all about alignment. And one of the challenges that I've always struggled with as a leader is like, I don't want a bunch of yes people. I don't want a whole lot of people who are just like, yeah, whatever you say. Because that's, you know, that's fun for about three minutes and then it's just not fun anymore and you don't have a winning organization. And I want to share five things Andy taught me about team alignment that I found so helpful. It's animated my leadership over the last decade, uh, really helped me lead the team at Connexus, and then more recently in my own company as we bring you this podcast, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I want to explain, and, and again, Andy, thank you so much for your insights in this, but uh, here are five things from my notes when years ago uh, when Andy gave a talk on alignment that I pulled out and dusted off for you. So number one, Alignment creates a badly needed dividing line, okay? So this is not about unanimity and everybody has to agree with exactly what I say, but you need a dividing line because sometimes organizations, they, they just struggle with different purposes, right? So I think you should have diversity in your organization in terms of who is part of it, whether that comes to racial diversity, economic diversity, even political diversity, but you all need to be moving to a common goal. See, and that's where it is. Rather than having everybody who looks like you or sounds like you or thinks like you, it's like, no, you can think differently from me, but hey, we are all doing this. And in our case at the church, it was to create a church that unchurched people love. And, you know, in my company, it's to help people thrive in life and leadership. So it's like, yeah, you may vote a little bit differently from me. You may look differently from me. You may think differently from me, but are we are we agreed that this is what we're going to do? So it's a, it's a dividing line around the right issues rather than the wrong issues. Number two, alignment forces out personal agendas. Um, people have personal agendas. It's like, well, I'm using this for my benefit or I want this to happen. And so sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's selfish personal goals. And that kind of gets called out where you have clear alignment in an organization because uh, it's like, oh, we're, we're actually about that. We're actually about reaching people. We're actually about uh, helping people. Um, you see, and, and it sort of calls me out if I'm in this for me or I'm trying to get something done behind the scenes. So it, it forces out personal agendas. That was huge because what it does is it creates unity around something that is bigger than ourselves. I'm uh, just finishing up Simon Sinek. Some of you are way ahead of me on this infinite game. He talks a lot about that, right? The selfish leader versus the leader who is there for a just cause. So alignment's going to force out personal agendas. Uh, it really leads you toward really what Simon Sinek would call the infinite game. So that's number two. Number three, alignment does not mean full agreement. Instead, it produces full focus. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm really hesitant to try to get everybody on the same page because then we're just going to get a bunch of yes people. No, 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 no. doesn't mean full agreement. It means full focus. In other words, this is what we're about. This is what our organization, our church, our company is about. And so we're all going to be focused on that. So it actually creates greater diversity of thought and opinion because we don't have to argue about things that really don't matter. We can say, well, you know, okay, here's what we're agreed on. The question is, let's debate how to get there. And all of a sudden you get a much healthier debate in that area. Uh, alignment removes all excuses. Uh, when you don't know what you're about, there's lots of reasons for not getting there. 
It's like, well, you know, I'm not really sure why we're not making progress. It's like, no, here's what we are about. And so it has a way of forcing out excuses. And then finally, alignment allows you to harness more creativity, not less. So having a common mission, vision, and strategy means your team can harness greater creativity because you agree on direction and priorities. You spend significant time getting creative about implementing your vision. Uh, I've seen so many organizations debate what to do. What should we do? What are we about? What are we really all about? See, when that's gone and you've got clarity, you've all agreed, here's what we're going to do. Then you can put your creative effort into how to accomplish it. And so when we got really clear and got our whole team aligned around uh, a common mission, vision, and strategy, that's when things really started to take off. So anyway, hey, those thoughts are mine. Those are my notes. So if I got something wrong, you know, I get it. But uh, I've learned so much from Andy over the years. Wanted to share that with you from uh, my notes. And uh, hey, that's what I'm thinking about right now. Really grateful for you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sharing this episode. Thank you for being here. If you're a subscriber, you'll get the next one automatically. And I'm looking forward to that moment. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.